Matthew chapter 24 in your Bibles. 2012 is here. It is here. And if you have looked into the popular culture at all, the question and the idea, even the number 2012, brings up something that a lot of people are scared about. In fact, I've been asked by more than several people, Jeff, what do you think about 2012? And you know what my pastoral response is? It's coming. And you just kind of let it sit. 2012 is here, and what we are being told uh, by many sources is about the Mayans and about how they predicted that there would be some type of cataclysmic event and possibly the world would uh, end as we end as we know it. How many of you have seen the movie that came out, I believe it was last year or the year before, uh, called 2012? Anybody in here? Okay, um, I actually, I, I'm very easily amused. My brother is a film person. Some of you have seen his work. It's incredibly professional. He has like uh, cameras and lenses that thousands of dollars. And he, he's a film person and he refuses to see it because he says all that it is is a CGI, computer animated cheese fest. And I was like, but man, the, the, whole, the whole ocean was coming over the, the, the mountains. He's like, you... Right, you are lame. You have a poor taste. And I watched it. It was just amazing to see that. You know, when they were flying over and there was this molten pit of lava. And the guy in the plane said, what is that? And he says, that used to be Hawaii. You're kind of like, I think I want to change my bucket list from that. And, and then, you know, you, you see the Buddhist monk on the top of the mountain with the gong, gong, gong. Gong, and this humongous tsunami coming over the, the Himalayas, basically. And then you, they've got, right, that secret um, thing in China where they're building these super ships, these super submarines to where all of the richest people in the world who have the in and have the money can get on there. And, and they're trying to save the human race. And Africa is supposed to be elevated, the continent. And, and most of the places across the United States, the rest of the world are supposed to sink. And the world as we know it is just going to be, it's going to be a kind of like Noah's flood part deuce on steroids. And we watch that and we chuckle to ourselves we look at the people in the room and <laughs> movies. And there's a little thought in the back of our minds. We say, I don't, I, I'm not really, I don't have a PhD in Chicano studies. I haven't studied the Mayans, but everybody's saying, so what in the world is going on? Well, we're going to look at, and by the way, I posted this through my Twitter on my Facebook account yesterday. I didn't know if I should do it. I said, Come join us at Rocky Mount Baptist Church tomorrow as we study uh, 2012, the Mayan calendar and the Bible. Nobody responded. In fact, Josh said in the Sunday school this morning, people probably thought your account got hacked. They're like, that is the weirdest status, the weirdest. I'm, I'm not even going to go anywhere near Rocky Mount Baptist. Well, what we're going to do is actually look at the data. Because I believe that God's word um, is true. Amen, church? And that we don't have anything to fear because we know who has us. But we're also going to look at some pretty interesting stuff about the Mayans and why any of that would matter at all. Before we do that, I have a confession to make. I have previously in my short life bit. I've seen the lure come by. I've seen the bait and I bit on the doomsday stuff. Anybody around when Y2K happened? 
Alright, we're not going to ask for a show of hands about how many of you bought like 10 years supply of beans and rice and generators and AK-47s, right? And a big stash of 22 rounds you use for currency. Well, I had been reading some stuff. I actually thought that it was going to happen. So I remember my dad was, and my mom, my mom's a little bit more jumpy than my dad. My dad, you know, he's reading the paper. Me and my brothers are fighting in the house. You know, the, the, the lights are being busted. Balls are being thrown across the room. He's just there, you know, totally engrossed in Cal Thomas's article. Doesn't know what's going on. My mom, a little bit more high strung. She, she thought that things would happen. And so I kind of got a little nervous. I went to the bank and I tried, I said, I want to withdraw all my money. And they talked me out of that. I was like 19 years old. And, and, and then, uh, I remember there on new year's Eve, I had my Remington 12 gauge 870. Some of you are like, that's strange. And it was loaded up because we were in Bonham, Texas, right? Bonham, Texas is Bonham, Texas. All right. Which is like the opposite of downtown Fort Worth, Dallas, Texas. Like anything would happen out there. Maybe there would be a few cows that would be disgruntled or get cow tipped. But other than that, not a lot would happen. I remember being in fear over Y2K. And I remember getting up the next morning, going to the toaster, putting in a piece of toast. It still works. Wow, that's amazing. And so I say that to say that sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in what we're told is going to happen instead of looking at God's Word and seeing what Jesus told us would happen. And there is a fundamental difference between the two. So the big issue about the Mayans, we're just going to walk through this. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down if you can find blank spaces on your worship guide. There's a professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara. His name is Dr. Gerardo Aldano, and he's a professor of Chicano studies, which is uh, Central American Mayan uh, culture. He has put forward an idea, and I think this is a very compelling argument. This basically undercuts the whole case of what we're told. He says that the date may be off, which, by the way, the date that we're told that the Mayans predicted that things would happen is December 21st, 2012. He has said that his studies have shown that the date may be off by more than 60 days. The reason why is the difficulty of correlating the ancient Mayan calendar and our modern Gregorian calendar. If you know anything about calendars, that's a very difficult thing to do is to sync calendars because we have things called leap years and days and uh, 365 days in a year. And sometimes that has to be shaved off or added to to keep it uh, totally tracked with uh, what's going on in the stars. Uh, let me just give you an article here. This is from our good friends at Infowars.com. This is from Professor James Petrus. And the article is called, quote, Unrelenting Global Economic Crisis, A Doomsday View of 2012. Amen? All right? That, that's an uppity thing. And the, the article is that it's going to be doom and gloom and everything is going to hit the fan. So, what we're going to look at is who were the Mayans and why do they matter? Number one, who the Mayans were. They were a powerful Central American empire uh, with a high level of technology. Uh, if you know anything about the Mayans, they were incredibly brilliant in the area of mathematics and time. 
Now, there's actually a great Christian book that I would encourage you to pick up. It's very small, and it has a lot of pictures. Um, it's by Donald Chittick, and it's called The Puzzles of Ancient Man. And it's about the idea that if we have evolved from lesser um, organisms to higher organisms, like from the goo to the zoo to you, then why is it in so many of these cultures we find levels of technology that we're not even able to replicate today? Incredible book, incredible arguments. Number two. The Mayans became very perverted, and I'm going, to, I'm going to edit this, very perverted, and they lost any value in human life. Uh, David Greenberg, who's an expert um, on the Mayans, said, quote, Young Mayan men lived in men's houses until they married at about age 20. And I'm going to give this to you, and I, you can fill in the lines. The Mayan culture got to the point to where the whole culture, by and large, endorse the practice of what we would call child molestation of the worst kind. Number three, the Mayans were utterly destroyed by invaders who matched their cruelty. When the Spaniards showed up, the Mayans were, some of you have seen uh, Mel Gibson's movie Apocalypto, which is very, very historically accurate. He saw these Spanish invaders, the conquistadors, they saw human sacrifice they saw orgies of the worst kind. They saw human cruelty. They even saw cannibalism that had to do with the Mayan um, religious rituals. And throughout God's word, there is a point that certain cultures hit where God says, enough. This is even the case in Israel's life. When Israel got to the point to where they were sacrificing their own children, God brought in a cruel foreign invader to teach them um, and to punish them. So, that's who the Mayans were. Let me give you four angles on this question. So, what's the deal with the Mayans in 2012? Let me give you four angles that we're not presented with because you can't make money with these angles. So, if you came here this morning trying to find a way to write a book that's going to make you money in 2012, this is not the way to do it. Number one, there is a great debate in the scholarly community as to whether... Um, in, the Mayan calendar has to do with eras or epochs or whether Bakhtung 13 is prophetic or poetic. And let me, let me give you a statement here. Um, according to INAH's Galaga, the structure of Mayan text is what has confused modern minds given our penchant or our desire for literal, straightforward reading. Quote, even if the Monument 6 inscription refers to a God coming down at the end of this era, it isn't a statement about the end of the world. These are writing, they are writing more in a poetic sense, saying, well, on the 21st of December, 2012, the God is going to come down and start a new cycle. The old world is going to die and the new world is going to be reborn just to make it more Poetic. That's from National Geographic, and this will be sourced in some stuff that we'll put online. So even if the Mayans are correct, there's nothing in the writings that say specifically that the world is going to end. So that is, that, that's an issue that the scholars are debating. Is this even considered Mayan prophecy, or is it Mayan poetry? And for our nerds in here who read old stuff, you know often that can be very confusing to figure out, is this just a fancy poem, or are they saying we think this is going to happen? Uh, number uh, two, the debated Mayan hieroglyph makes no reference to the end of the world, but to a new era. Kind of like uh, when we go to Chinese restaurants, they've got the placemat, the year of the dog, the year of the lion, the year of the chihuahua, the year of the, you know, whatever it is. 
It refers to the beginning of a new era. It says, um, this is from a Boston University archaeologist, said, quote, in this Monument 6 to where this 2012 date on December 21st comes from, says, quote, there's no text that follows and says, herein will be the end of the world and the world will end in fire. That's not anywhere in the text. Rather, Saturno said, the hype, and please, please don't miss this, the hype around 2012 stems from dissatisfied Westerners looking to ancients, to the ancients for guidance, hoping that people such as the Maya knew something that could help us through difficult times now. And by the way, that's at the point that we should turn to the Bible. Amen? Jesus called shots that definitely happen. And then, number three, the Mayans, this is huge. This for me is the kicker. The Mayans missed their own prophetic future which was the complete and utter destruction of their empire by the invading Spaniards. Now think about it. If you're a Mayan and you're trying to predict the future, wouldn't you want to know when your culture would be destroyed by another culture? Imagine if we had an American collection of prophets who were outside of God's Word trying to find out about the future, wouldn't you think it would be in the best interest of the American prophets to find out if and when, let's say the Chinese would come and invade and destroy the United States as we know it? And if they missed that date, wouldn't you be a little bit skeptical about the rest of the dates that they would give? Saturno also said, quote, referring to the Mayans, They didn't see their collapse coming. They didn't see the Spanish conquest coming. And I would just say, let's take a step back and just not take this so serious that if you don't know when your own culture is going to be destroyed, how do you know when the world's going to be destroyed? Let me say that again. If you can't predict when your own small culture, although it was 120,000 square miles of territory, if you can't predict and tell when your own culture is going to be destroyed and do something about that, then what makes me think that you know about when the whole world is going to be destroyed? But that's taking into account that the Mayans actually had a prophetic um, foretelling instead of just a poetic uh, or a poem. Number four, and this is very, very important for those of us who are on the World Wide Web every day because we can't get away from it. It's the way we do life and business. Number four, scientific misinformation mixed with misunderstood ancient texts and explained by strange internet sites should not trouble our faith in the Scripture. Let me explain. Some people say, but Jeff, you don't understand. Point one through three may be true, but didn't the Mayans predict that the planet Nibiru would be on a collision course with planet Earth? Where did you find that? Crystallinks.net. By the way, if you ever on a Crystal Links website, think crystal meth and just say no. All right? Crystal Links websites are for people who use stuff you shouldn't use and write internet sites that you shouldn't write. We've got to take a step back and just help us out. If it's got an EDU on the end of the website, it may have some credence. Why? Because if one professor puts out an argument that's dumb, all the other professors are going to jump on it like white on rice and try to show how dumb it is so that they'll get the better teaching job. That's called peer-reviewed. 
In Christianity, we call that accountability. But if I'm just some guy, man, and I've got myself a bad batch of of stuff, and I'm just smoking it out, I'm higher than, I mean, I'm out of orbit, and I get on a Crystal Link website, and here's the argument that you read from those people. But what about Planet X? How many of you heard Planet X? Right, heard that? Okay. Maybe not? Okay, y'all don't go Crystal Links? Cool. I'm just going to go through this anyway. I'm going to go Crystal Links, all right? After, okay. But what about Planet X or Nibiru that's on a collision path with Earth? This comes from our good friends at NASA. This is astrobiologist David Morrison who said plainly, and I quote, There is no object out there. That's probably the most straightforward thing to say. Then NASA goes on, and in fact, NASA has built, this is amazing, this is how big the 2012 thing has gotten. NASA has actually created a whole, this is crazy, a whole website, like NASA and NASA's arm website, to deal with questions on 2012. NASA is no joke. They got to the moon. They're not just making up random websites. They've been inundated with questions. And here's what he says. And this is, this is where my quirky sense of humor really gains joy. The origins of this theory, the theory that planet X and the virus on a collision path with Earth, which we're told is going to cause everything and the oceans go crazy, uh, actually predate widespread interest in 2012. Popularized in part, here it is, by a woman who claims to receive messages from extraterrestrials. Yeah. The Nibiru Doomsday was originally predicted for 2003. And if you've noticed anything about Doomsday people, is they change the dates like checkers are changed in a well-grounded match. David Morrison, astrobiologist for NASA, finishes his statements with, quote, If there were a planet or a brown dwarf or whatever was going to be in the inner solar system three years from now, astronomers would have been studying it for the past decade and it would be visible to the naked eye now. That means that there's no quantum leap in space. That means that when we look out in space, we can see a long way. Like, man, I got a 2495 telescope from Walmart. Man, I can see the moon. That's a long way. And what he's saying, and this is common sense for us Christians, that we step away and say, you know what? If there is a planet that's going to collide with Earth, it doesn't just all of a sudden show up like on a magic show. It would be seen a long way away. And here's the biggest point I want to make. If crazy things happen, this, this is amazing. Jesus, We're about to see how he explains this. If crazy things happen, we're about to look at some really crazy things, in 2012... It will be what Jesus described as normal until he comes. Let's grab a hold that if crazy things happen in 2012, it will be what Jesus said, predating the Mayans, which the height of their civilization was around 300 AD. Jesus was early AD because he's the one who split it. Amen, right? He's like, you know, ultimate karate chop, B-C-A-D, C-E, B-C-E. Jesus split it. Jesus said that crazy things would happen all the time until he returns. That's why, notice Matthew chapter 24. One of the first things that we need to understand is that Jesus says, think, uh, right, think sandwich board, that the end is coming. Notice verse 3. 
And he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age. Right before this, in verse number 1 and 2, this is what happened. Jesus left the temple and was going away. Why did he leave the temple? Go back to chapter 23, verse 37. Here's Jesus in Jerusalem overlooking it. He says, this is like Jesus' lamenting cry, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. Then he says in verse 38, See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's Jesus knowing that in a short time He's going to give His life for the sins of all who would be saved, all who would believe. And Jesus is kind of overlooking Jerusalem and He's almost weeping, saying, Jerusalem, I would desire to bring you and change you and be your Savior, but you've rejected me. And then as we just read, Jesus leaves the temple, which would have been a magnificently uh, ginormous structure. And it was so big and so amazing. Notice what it says in verse number 1, part B of uh, verse 124. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, he answered them. So the disciples are like, Jesus, check this out. They're like, Jesus, look at this. Look at how amazingly big this is. Look at how magnificent. And here's what Jesus says. But he answered them. You see all these? Do you not? Truly. I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And Jesus just predicted what happened in 70 A.D. Jesus predicted that when the Romans came against the nation of Israel, they surrounded Jerusalem. And historians will tell you that per capita, this was the worst slaughter, like per capita, per amount of people in the area, there were over around a million people killed, murdered uh, by people inside Rome. This is how bad it was. Imagine if you had been trapped up like a rat in a cage. You were a Jew. Roman legions of Titus had surrounded you. It was so bad that the Jews began to kill each other. It was different political parties, different religious groups would kill each other in the temple. And it was so bad that, I'm not trying to get us grossed out, but this is what happened. Josephus tells us that they would pitch the bodies over the side and there was such a heap of bodies on the side of the walls of Jerusalem that he said that the pagan Roman Titus, the pagan non-Christian cruel tyrant Titus said to his, his religious leaders, tell the gods that I had nothing to do with this. How bad does a slaughter? How many bodies? What body count does it have to be? How heartbreaking does it have to be for a cruel Roman dictator to take a step back and say, somebody tell God or tell the gods or whoever's in charge that that's not me. When Jesus said all of these stones will be cast down, what happened when the Roman legions finally broke into the city of Jerusalem? 
Titus gave specific commands for the soldiers not to touch the temple, not to harm it. But they disobeyed orders. They threw torches and it began to burn. Well, you know the temple has an incredible amount of gold. When it burned, the gold melted. It melted all the way down into the cobblestones of the streets. And the Roman soldiers in their greed and their selfishness actually dug up every single stone within any area of the temple to pick off even a a small seed of gold. And Jesus called the shots before it happened. That's who I want to trust. Amen? That happened. You can pick up a secular, pagan, non-Christian history book and you can look up 70 AD, Temple, Jerusalem, what happened. They'll say the Romans, if they had jackhammers, would have jackhammered up every rock. And we look back at this ancient text in Matthew chapter 24 and Jesus tells us what happened before it happened. So... Contra the Mayans who did not understand or know when their culture would be destroyed. If Jesus knows when something horrific is going to happen and he calls it and it happens, don't you think that that would cause us to want to listen to what else Jesus has to say? Notice what else he says. In verse 3, he went and he sat down. Imagine, imagine being the disciples. They're like, he just said that all of these stones would be cast down. Look at how how huge it is. How some of these stones literally weighed, I mean, tons and tons and tons. And then they went and they found Jesus and they asked him, they said, when will these things be? Now, now here's a a theological question. Um, Often, when we think about the end times, this is the confusing part. Is Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple and the end times as one and the same event? Because notice what the text says again. The the disciples ask, tell us when these things, will these things be? And when will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? So the most difficult theological question of Matthew 24 is whether Jesus was lumping together the destruction of the temple and the end times. Or if Jesus is saying, here's going to be the destruction of the temple, 70 AD, Romans. And then here's what's going to happen at the end of time. And I think that's the best way to read what Jesus is saying. And the second thing to understand is, first, Jesus says, guys, the end is coming. It's coming. You say, Jeff, how near is it? It's nearer now than it was a moment ago. So now, 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 now Jeff, are, what, do you, what do you mean? Are you talking about the timing? I really want to know, when do you think it's going to happen? Point number two, Jesus says, notice verse 36. This is after he's packaging up his argument, his, his, di- his diatribe here. Verse 36, but concerning the day and the hour, somebody tell me what Jesus says. How many people know? No one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. And then if you look over in verse number 42, Jesus also says, stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Jesus is saying that no one knows exactly when this will be. How many of you remember that little pamphlet in 1988? 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. Okay, that's probably a good thing that you don't remember that. Anytime a person says that they want to tell you when Jesus is coming back, tell them that Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour. Remember this past year, was it May 21st? Whoopsies. But notice how they changed it again. No one knows the day or the hour. 
Jesus says in just a few moments to be ready. You say, okay, well, now hold on, Jeff. If I know the end is coming, and I know that, um, uh, that no one knows the day or the hour, well, how am I supposed to react? How am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do? Notice what Jesus says there in verses number 4 through 8. This is so cool. He's saying in a sentence, don't be rattled by distractions. Notice what type of distractions he talks about here. He, he says that there are going to be Christ imposters in verses 4 and 5. He says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will lead many astray. He's saying that there will be lots of people who come and say that I am Jesus Christ or that I am the Messiah. And in actually AD 132, the Bar Kokhba revolt, that people thought that this man was the Messiah because they rejected Jesus. When the Romans slaughtered him and his men, they realized that he wasn't the Messiah and they lost all their political freedom with the little they had. I mean, remember Jim Jones, South Africa, I'm Jesus Christ. Anybody remember Waco, David Koresh? I am Jesus Christ. Be great thing to say. Let's go find some water. Walk. When people come to you and they tell you, I am, this would be really strange, right? You're like your first day on the job, a coworker walks up, I am Jesus Christ. You're like, I don't, I don't like Kool-Aid, thank you very much. And you just walk away. No one is Jesus except for Jesus. Amen, church? And think about this. This is before Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, most famous man in history. This is before his disciples set the world on fire. This is just a a Jewish teacher in Palestine. Like, how how, how many of us have, have people out there trying to imitate us? Right? Like, last time I checked, there were not a lot of people out there. Like, I, I'm, I want to change my name to Jeff Robinson. Right? Who are you? I'm Jeff Robinson. Really? No. Oh, yeah. And like there's this huge movement that everybody in person, it's like they, they get a picture of my face and put it on themselves like with cardboard box. That'd be so weird. So this is before Jesus in the eyes of the world is really somebody. He would sound like a crazy bit. I mean, you know, the disciples are like, we think you're awesome. We think you may be God at this point. I think Peter knows that because he said that you are the Christ, Son of the living God. But there will be many people who will say that they're you. Interesting. But then once Jesus rose from the dead, they're like, whoa. People don't need to want to be you. They need to serve you. Amen, church? He says there would be a lot of people who are going to be me. Notice also see us in verse 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7. I get excited. I'm going to slow down. Jesus says there will be many wars. Notice what he says. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. War is coming. Don't worry. That's what Jesus says. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. Then he says in verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Do you know what? According to Jesus, there are going to be war after war after more wars, and then add a few more wars, but then he said the end is not yet to come. So when we hear of wars, it should simply remind us of what Jesus said is normal. Notice what he says also in Natural Disasters, verses 7 and 8. He says famines and earthquakes in various places. How many people do you normally say, Oh, the end is near, there are earthquakes. Jesus said there would be earthquakes, but the end is not yet to come. Also, there will be famines. Jesus said there will be famines. Famines will come. So, Jeff, what do all these things mean? Are we supposed to discern prophetically what's going to happen? Notice how Jesus describes this in verse number 8. He says, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, I cannot say that I understand what that means experientially, but some of you ladies who have given birth, when I've been told that the beginning of birth pains means it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets a little bit better. Amen, ladies? All right? Like, like 
it's not good right now, and I'm thinking it's going to really not get good. And, you know, maybe the husband's out of the outsider, maybe he's there. It's just not a fun time. But Jesus says the end is not yet to come. But often when we think of natural disasters, famines, wars, we think that the end is here. Jesus says it's not yet. He speaks uh, all the way through verse uh, 15, all the way through verse 27 about persecution and the abomination of desolation, which probably what's going to happen is the temple will have to be rebuilt. There may be a war in the Middle East because right now what is on the temple grounds is the Dome of the Rock. Very sacred place for the Muslims. If you know anything about the Jews and the Muslims right now, it's probably not possible that the Muslims will say to Israel, go ahead and bulldoze the Dome of the Rock and build a temple to Yahweh. Something may happen, but in order for the abomination of desolation to happen, the Antichrist would have to set up his um, image in the temple. A lot of very interesting stuff we just don't have time to get into, but Jesus says that the end is coming and for us to be ready. As finally, here's what we do about it. Y'all ready for this? So how should we respond? Number one, Jesus says, stay awake. Notice what he says over there in verse number 42. He says, therefore, stay awake for you do not know the day and what your Lord is coming. Stay awake. Say, well, what does it mean to stay awake? Well, in the scriptures, sleep is a metaphor for death. Have you ever been in a dead church? You know, you, you walk in and it's just kind of dead. When people talk to you, if they talk to you. By the way, the way you can tell a, a dead church member a dead church is if they talk to new people who come. In the condition of the heart. When they talk to you, we're like, I'm not sure if they're the living dead or if they're a zombie or if they're, I mean, I don't know what's going on. And, you know, and, and they sing or the preacher's given, it's just like dead. And you walk out and you're like, I need some oxygen or I need a life support or somebody punched me in the face. It's just dead. Jesus is saying, stay awake. He's literally saying, get involved with the things that make you awake. Remember one time coming home from college, I was so tired. Have you ever done this? You're driving along and it's when you have that snap moment of when you fall asleep and you wake up in the same second. Isn't that a terrifying thing? Okay, all right. And when that happened, I immediately broke out in a cold sweat. Like it was like my body shut off, boom, shut back on. And like that could have been really, really bad. Like you wake up and it's just like... And it's, you know, the, the mailbox is on the other side of the road that you're running over. It's bad. Stay awake, Jesus says. Remember the disciples in the garden? When Jesus was praying, they were what? Asleep. May it be for us who follow Christ to not fall asleep because we're in the middle of a battle. Number two, Jesus says to be ready. Verse 44. I love this. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. I love talking to military people. Do you know why? Because they're ready. You talk to an officer, a police officer. When he or she is on duty, they are not there with maybe a nightstick here, half of a uh, handcuff over here. They have their belt on and they are ready for whatever comes their way. And if what comes their way is too strong for them, they're calling for backup. And if that backup's not enough to come, then you call the state police. And if the state police is not enough, you call the military. And if the military's not enough, you call Chuck Norris. You know what I'm talking about? Like bringing everybody. Say, when I go to work, buddy, if you face me down, you are going down. I am not moving. That's what Jesus says, to be ready. Be ready. See, Jeff, how, how do we be ready? Finally, 
I know some of y'all love that in the sermons. Finally, which is not finally yet, but finally, finally, Jesus says in verse 46, who then is the faithful and wise servant? That's what we want to be. Whom his master has set over his house to hold household to give them their food at the proper time. Then he says, blessed in verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. That means to do the Great Commission while we still can. That means in every day, in every way, with every person and every people group that we can find in 2012, I pray, my prayer is that we would be able to plug in Rocky Mount Baptist Church to bring in the gospel around the world. Amen, church? Because, oh, you know, Jeff, we're, we're, not, we're not a mega church. Who did Jesus start out with? Twelve guys, and one of them was shanking people, and one guy was well, couldn't believe anything. A group of basically misfits, but God changed the world through them. God can change the world through Rocky Mountain Baptist Church because you are here, and God is in you to do the Great Commission while you still can. Remember, my mom told me when I was a kid about getting up early and working. She said, "Daylight's burning." Remember that? That comes from her dad. My grandfather was a, a dairy farmer. Jesus says there is a time that is coming. It is the night that no man can work. We're going to have all of eternity to praise God in heaven, but there's only a certain amount of time for you and I to win our friends and our family members and people we don't even know to Jesus Christ. There's only a certain amount of time for us to give our money so that missionaries can take the gospel into the darkest areas of planet Earth. There's only a certain amount of time to work. And I pray that one day when the sun sets on our life, we can put our plow down, and the Lord takes us home, we can look back and see and praise Him to say, Lord, I maybe got saved later in life, but You allowed me to work while it was still day. And now I see what You did through the work that You did in me. And I give You all the praise and all the glory. So Jesus is coming back. Let's be ready.